Stand together, please. Acts chapter 21 in the New Testament. And uh, we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts. And uh, we now get to this particular passage, beginning uh, chapter 21. And uh, here we find this morning that the Apostle Paul is actually concluding his missionary journeys. He took three extensive uh, long-distance missionary trips. We traveled more than 4,000 miles uh, this past week. And uh, I I told those who were with us, I said, you know, it would be a lot easier just to fly. And uh, we would save a lot of time. It costs a lot more money, but we'd save some time. I said, but this way we do get to experience the fact that missionaries don't fly from one place to another. They travel when they're on deputation. They're going from one city, one church to the other. And that's what they do for two or three years when they show up here and uh, looking for support. And uh, I said, that gives you an idea of what it's like. You're always on the road, always meeting new people. 4,000 miles we traveled. And uh, the Lord brought us back here uh, safely, and we're thankful for that. Well, Paul is concluding his journey, and uh, he gets here in chapter 21. Is everybody good this morning? We are are in the middle of summer, aren't we? And uh, we are in that summer slump. That always comes every year, and people are on vacations, and lots of things going on, and uh, you never know who's going to be here and who's traveling week to week, and uh, I'm thankful, my goodness, I'm so thankful to see your faces this morning. All right, we're in chapter 21, we're going to read verses 1 down to verse 17 with me, okay? And uh, you're going to do the best that you can, you're going to read the odd verses with me, and uh, there'll be a few cities there that's going to be hard to pronounce. You just do the best you can and follow your pastor, all right? He's going to do the same. And uh, I, I looked up a number of these cities on the, on the internet to find out exactly how to pronounce them. And uh, usually I do that, and when I actually get up here to stand up here in front of you, I still mess it up. So the truth is, you're not going to know if I mess it up or not, right? So we're going to do the best we can, all right? Ch- uh, chapter 21, uh, you read it with me starting verse 1, read the odd verses, and we'll go down to verse 17 to get the context. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Cus, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patera. And finding a ship swelling over unto, sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was un, to unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship. And they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, 
Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth his girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, and brought with them one Manasseh of Cyprus, an old disciple, with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Now this is a challenging passage here in this chapter because of the differences of opinion surrounding whether or not Paul was making a mistake by going to Jerusalem. And there are various opinions upon that. And I don't know what 100% which one is exactly right. But I do have an opinion myself. And we're going to look this morning at the, the title of this message is to compromise, to compromise or to have courage. To compromise or to have courage. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity today. And we're praying, Lord, for the power of your spirit to bless the preaching of your word. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to uh, seek truth. We want to hear truth. Uh, Lord, I'm praying today that you help me to say only what needs to be said. Help me, Lord, not to preach my own thoughts and, and hearts and desires. Even though sometimes as, as, as human, uh, Lord, that, those things happen. I pray, Father, that your word goes forth. And, uh, Lord, it is your word that speaks to folks. And, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would apply every, every phrase, everything exactly where it needs to be. As I prayed this morning with a man, help me not to preach an outline. Help me to preach your truth. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, our last time together, we were in Acts chapter 20. And Paul had begun his journey back to Jerusalem. And uh, his hopes were to arrive there by the time of uh, Pentecost had arrived. The Passover, the days of unleavened bread had already come to pass. Now he's got 50 days to get to make the journey back to Jerusalem and say all of his final goodbyes. And with little time to spare, he led the Ephesian elders. Uh, he had the Ephesian elders meet him in Miletus so that he could see their face one last time. And I preached the message on when it's time to say goodbye. And uh, so he sees him one last time. I want you to look back in chapter 20 at verse 22, okay? Verse 22 and 23. Because he told them at this time, he says, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And I don't know what's going to happen when I get there, but there are signs. There are things. There are things that people are saying. There are things that the Holy Spirit's revealing to me. 
I know that when I get there, there's, there's going to be trouble. I'm going to have to face some very, very difficult challenges. He goes on in uh, verse 24 uh, that despite those challenges and knowing what was ahead, Paul continued and he lists his reason there. He says, but none of these things move me. You say, trouble's coming, Paul. He says, I know. I know trouble's coming. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be challenging, but I don't, I don't allow those things to move me. He says, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Well, what is Paul well known for saying? For me to live is what? Christ and to die is gain. Paul is very well known for saying that in Philippians chapter number one. Well, here's his reason. He says, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry, he wants to finish the ministry with joy. The ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And so what Paul is reminding us here is that comfortable situations do not guarantee joy. Understand that. Everybody wants to be joyful. Everybody wants to be happy, and they're not necessarily the same thing. We want to experience that. And the truth is, is when we're, when we're planning for that, we're thinking of our necessary comforts. We want to be comfortable. When we're, in a, when we're walking into something, we want to be in control. We want to know what we're facing. Don't give me a responsibility without knowing what I'm going to be up against, what I'm going to be doing. Paul is saying here, he, he knows there's challenges that are ahead. He knows it's not going to be easy. But he knows it is important for him to keep going forward because he wants to finish with joy. All right. Here, Paul reminds us that comfortable situations do not guarantee joy. A few years ago, I was building houses with my father-in-law, and uh, there was one particular home that we were uh, working on, and uh, I, I remember this home very well. I, I did not know the couple uh, before we started building their house, uh, but I remember having conversations with them, and they had different trials and different things that they had gone through, and uh, their marriage oftentimes was pretty troubling. And I remember one particular conversation that I had had uh, with this, with this uh, woman. And uh, I remember her saying, what's going on with my mic, Vic? Is it something I'm doing? It is loose. Devil. All right. That's as tight as I can get it. So, somebody messed with it while I was away, didn't they? So I was talking to this lady, and she says, she said, you know, I'm really hoping that this new house will fix things, fix some problems in our life and in our marriage. And I just told her, I just had to flat out tell her, you know, a new, a new situation, new surroundings don't always fix your problems. I mean, they were, there were some situations there. I'd, I'd see them arguing and fighting. Uh, there were times, I mean, that guy was so angry. He was such a jerk. There were times I wanted to punch him in the face. He was a jerk. And uh, 
it didn't take long. They moved in that house, and next thing I know, they had, uh, they had, I don't know what's going on there. They had filed bankruptcy. They lost the house. It was foreclosed. Things don't, things, different surroundings, different situations don't always produce what we're looking for. See if that helps. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 teaches us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit rather than a work of the flesh. There's a difference in experiencing happiness and experiencing joy. For example, football season is right around the corner. And when our favorite football team wins a big game, we celebrate. I remember second in 26, all right? I remember when Alabama was facing Georgia in overtime and Tua Tagovailoa threw that pass in the end zone. I mean, I, I screamed so loud that I fell on the floor because I thought I was going to pass out. I, I mean, I just, I was exerting so much oxygen, letting it go, all right? But what happens? Here comes the spring. Man, what's the next team like? What's the next big game like? The next year we lose the national championship, right? I mean, it's, there, there's, there's periods where you're happy, but happiness is always conditional. It's always up and down. It's always depending upon the circumstances. But Paul was talking about something that is far deeper than just mere happiness. He was speaking of a joy that we can have even in the midst of hardships. Because joy is not conditional in being successful or comfortable. It's not, it does not require the best of things or the best of situations. And since pure joy is a fruit of the Spirit, then it must be rooted in our relationship with God. So the question is, well, what, what must we do to, what can we do to partake of this fruit? How can I experience joy? How can I walk around and with a smile on my face when things are really, really Hard. Don't you want the answer to that? Because all of us have hardships. And all of us, I mean, our faces show where we're at at this particular time. And mine does the exact same thing that yours does. All right? Life is not always easy. There are always challenges. But there is something that can, is inside of us that if we allow it to have its perfect uh, uh, fruitfulness, it, its perfect way... We can go around and we can face every challenge with the joy of the Lord. Now, in order to bear fruit, there must be, there must be life. Because fruit does not grow from dead things. Amen? If you've got a dead tree, don't go looking for apples this fall. There must be life. Well, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You're in Acts 21. If you go one book to your right, a few pages to your right, you're in the book of Romans. I want you to find Romans chapter 14. All right? You're, just, you're so close to it. I want you to read it for yourself. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, there is the first birth where you're born of your mother. That is the earthly birth. And Jesus is speaking of a spiritual birth. Well, Nicodemus had a hard time understanding. He says, how can I go back into my mother's womb? I, I can't do that. That's impossible. Well, Jesus says, well, you must be born again. That which is of earth is earthly. 
but that which is the spirit, uh, spiritual, spiritual, okay? It's of the spirit, spiritual. So he's speaking of a spiritual birth there. Well, all right, I'm born again spiritually, okay? Then I can see the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Well, Romans 14, verse 17, read it with me. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not something physical. It's not something we can put our hands on, okay? We, a lot of times people, they, they want to come to Christ and they want all of their physical things to change. You don't know, it, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The, the new birth changes us on the inside. The, the, uh, it, it, changes, it begins inside. Verse 18, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. So in order for Paul to finish his course with joy, which is rooted in his relationship with God, he believed he must continue his journey to the holy city. Let's go back to Acts 21, all right? And I'm just going to highlight some things in these verses. In verses 1 through 3, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. He leaves Miletus. He sails to Kos, the next day to Rhodes, and on to Patera. And there he found an ocean-selling vessel that put him further out in the water, and he heads toward, he heads toward Phoenicia. He sails south of the island of Cyprus where he first began his missionary work with Barnabas in Acts 13. And they landed in the port of Tyre in Syria. And there in Tyre, he spends a week in verses 4 through 6. We don't ever have a biblical record that he ever spent time there previously. Which I suppose is why they're searching for disciples in verse 4. They've landed there. What do they want to do? They want to find people to fellowship with. They want to find people that are like-minded. And so they're looking for believers in Christ. They're looking for a church when they show up there. It's okay when you go on vacation to go to church. Amen? Now they're searching. Too bad Paul didn't have the World Wide Web, right? I mean, we just get on the internet and find a like-minded church. Find out where it's at. Paul didn't have that luxury. So they're searching for believers. They're searching for an established church, and they found one. They found some disciples there in verse, uh, verses 4 through 6. And we found them in, verse, in, in seven short days, Paul and his band of men had made such an impact that they connected with the entire family because it says that their, the men, their wives, and their children were with them. Now, i got to say this before I move forward. When I think of Paul, I think of a... I just think of a manly man, a rough man, okay? I just think of a very tough individual. Why do I think that? Because he was a man that could take whippings for his faith. That's a pretty tough guy. Didn't cry about it, didn't whine about it, he just took it, all right? Here's another reason he's a tough guy. When he found out that Peter was doing some things wrong, he got in the apostle's face and corrected him. That's a, that's a tough man. It didn't matter who it was. He, he corrected him. He straightened some things out. He faced challenges. And I like it when a guy doesn't shy away from challenges, doesn't quit, doesn't lay down, but keeps pushing through. Now, I think of that and I think, well, he's got, he's got a tough guy. When Paul looked at you, I imagine he pierced a hole through you, just stirred you up. 
But then I read verses 6 and 7. And after a week, when Paul is leaving, the whole family came out to say goodbye to him. The husbands were there, the wives were there, and the children were there. You know, you can be a tough man and still be kind and compassionate and gentle. Are you with me? You can be tough and stand for what is right and still have the ability to express enough joy that people like to be around you. Because you've been around people you don't like to be around. Don't be that person. Here's a good principle. Leave, make a decision to part ways where everyone is unified in prayer and they hate to see you go rather than for them to be praying for you to leave. That's a good principle. All right? He's there and the women and children come out there to see him. Why? Why was that? Because there was something in here, Caleb, there was something inside that other people could easily recognize. And he could stand for truth, but he could also love you in the midst of it, right? He was very, he was a powerful individual. Now, following a time of prayer on the shore, Paul took ship and family, and the families returned home. They went their own way. And in verses 7 through 9, they took a short sail from Tyre to Ptolemaeus and spent the day with the brethren there. They found church-going people, saved, born-again believers. They wanted to fellowship with them. They were like-minded and spent some time together. And after, after a day with those people, they departed and they went to Caesarea. And it says that they, they found Philip the evangelist. Philip is the one that we found as one of the original deacons in Acts 6. He led the spiritual awakening in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. And later he, he led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ in the same chapter. And he goes on to Caesarea. He sets up residence there in that Roman colony. And he raised a godly family. He had four godly daughters right there that every mom and dad would like their young son to marry. All right? Now, now we get to the heart of the controversy. I want you to go back to verse 4. And I want you to see this. They found disciples, in finding disciples, we tarried there seven days. And the disciples told them, who said to Paul through the Spirit, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. It wasn't just Paul who knew challenges were ahead. Other people recognized there's challenges ahead for you. You're about to face very difficult times. The Lord had revealed those things to them. And they're encouraging them, don't go. Now in Caesarea, a certain prophet by the name of Agabus comes to Paul. Read, look in verse 11. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle. He bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now there the Holy Spirit is not using Agabus to say, don't go. In verse number 4, they simply, uh, they mention some things. That through the Spirit, that he should not go to Jerusalem. In verse 11, he doesn't tell them to go. He just says, listen, when you get there, this is what's going to happen to you. They're going to bind your, they're, they're going to bind your hands and they're going to deliver you in the hands of the Gentiles. Everyone who heard this in verse 12 especially Paul's friends, which you notice the 
plural pronoun we, which so it includes the writer, Dr. Luke, begged him not to go to Jerusalem. They, they're begging him, don't go. Please don't go. We, they besought him, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Don't go. It was an emotional moment for everyone, including Paul. Because in verse 13, Paul answered and he said, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? They're crying. They're shedding tears. Please don't go, Paul. We don't want you to go. And he says, you're weeping. You're breaking my heart. Please don't do this. You know, Adoniram Judson, the first really American missionary, after he graduated college, he was given a position. He was offered a position in his hometown. And his mother and his sister and, and others who knew him congratulated him because not only did he get to serve God, but he got to serve God in his home church. He got to serve God for us to be Somerville Baptist Church. You get to come back here and serve the Lord. What a great opportunity. But Adoniram Judson did not have that passion. He told his mother, he says, Mom, my work is not here because God is calling me beyond the seas. To stay here, even to serve God in his ministry, I feel would only be partial obedience. And I could not be happy in that. Can I ask you a question? Can you be happy with partially obeying God? Partially. I will go so far, Lord, but I will not go all the way. If I go all the way, I'm afraid of what it might cost me. It will cost you. He says, I cannot. He says, listen, I know if I stayed here, yes, I would serve the Lord. And yes, maybe I could make an impact. But that is not my passion. That is not where God is calling me. And I must go do what God is calling me to do. And he faced severe hardships. And he spent time in prison. But his churches that established led over 50,000 people to Jesus Christ. How does he do that? How does he face that and make that decision? In verse 13, Paul continues. He says, I am, For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus I would say he was very passionate about what God's will was for his life. Can I get an amen there? He was passionate. His will is not B.J. Barlock's will. But God deserves to be just as passionate for what your will is. Right? For what God's will is for your life. Verse 14, look at it. Gives us a clue that they didn't stop trying to persuade him. They continue, but finally they came to the conclusion... That Paul would not back off if he believed what he was doing was the right thing. And so they quit trying to convince him. And notice at the end of the verse where they say, The will of the Lord be done. They left everything up to God. And together, many travelers traveled with, many believers traveled with him up to Jerusalem, including his host, an old disciple from Cyprus by the name of Manasseh. And I, I wonder if they knew one another from his first journey when he first left Antioch and went to Cyprus. 
And when they arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren there received him gladly. And there's a brief calm before the storm hits a week or so later. In verse 27, because everything comes to pass, Paul faces trouble. And because of the numerous warnings, there are many who believe that Paul made a mistake by not heeding to the counsel he received. And as a result, his ministry was cut short. There's just as many who are not so convinced. They, that, that maybe that's possible, but there are many who believe that, that Paul continued to do what he felt God was leading him to do, and he would not be convinced and pressured otherwise. Every man must work that out in his own heart. Despite knowing what he was walking to, into, Paul continued to desire his, to finish his course with joy. And in his last words in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, 7, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. And as a result of that, he had no regrets, he had no reserves, he did not retreat, he was ready to be offered because to live was Christ and to die is gain. I want to give you this and maybe you should write it down, okay? Sometimes the only person that needs to be convinced you're doing the right thing is you. Everybody don't have to agree. We should live for an audience of one. And our desire should only be to please the one who saved us and the one who called us. Everybody doesn't have to be on board. Everybody doesn't have to be cheering for you and rooting you on. But you need to be convinced, I'm going forward because that is what God is calling me to do. There will be plenty of naysayers, and there will be plenty of times, Mike, there will be plenty of times where challenges will face, and you may get to a point where you question, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? The only way you can continue to go forward is you know God put you there. Amen. And by doing so, you can do so with joy. Now, I want to give you some things that will help you. I ask a question. When the pressure from our peers arise, will we compromise our convictions of what we know in our heart to be God's will? Or will we take courage and keep going forward? Well, Kent Hughes offered the following reasons why Paul encountered such pressure from his friends. And I want to add this. i got to add this. Because I believe it is easy for us as parents to do the same thing with our children. We want our children to be successful. We want them to be comfortable. We don't want them to struggle. We don't want them to be poor. We don't want them to face challenges that we can't help them with. Only thing we can do is pray them through it. We don't want those things for our children. And sometimes we get in the way and we tell our kids what the will of God is when we have no business doing so. Reason number one. Paul's acquaintance demonstrated the all too common inclination of being quick to know God's will for someone else. It is easy to tell someone else what they need to be doing when we really need to be working on what we need to be doing. Amen. It is easy to do so. Everybody is an expert in somebody else's life. 
Found that to be true? Now, it is easy to have this desire. Well, this is what I think. Is, listen, I have came to a place in my life, in my ministry, I am not going to tell you what the will of God is for your life. I will say this because his parents are sitting right here. When Dylan Bryant sat in my office last year and we talked about what he was going to do with his future, my only thought was, young man, you need to be listening to the Lord because God's calling you into the ministry. But it was not my place to say that. It was not my place to say that because I am not the Holy Spirit. And I am not God. And I did not feel like I should be telling him that. I just prayed for him that the Lord would direct him in that way. At that time, he was planning on doing something else. And I'm like, dude, you're wasting your talent that God has given you. But I kept that to myself. And I'm saying that right now because he's not here. He's up there in Wyoming preaching tonight, I believe. Serving the Lord. It's not my job to tell you what the will of God is for your life. It's my job to give you the word of God and let the Lord show you what his will is for your life. I'll give you this right here. What matters most is God's will for us, not what others think we should do. And therefore, we need to be the ones really seeking out God's plan for our life. Secondly... One of the reasons why Paul encountered such pressures is Paul's friends were trying to make God's will conform to their preconceptions. In other words, their thinking was, if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer. And if he suffers, we'll be deprived of his ministry. And certainly this cannot be God's will. I think we've all been there before. How can it be God's will that we... Suffer. I'm going to tell you right now. I felt that way when Pastor Lewis got sick and died. He's 50 years old. Why? Why would God take him at that age? I'm just around the corner from that. Why would the Lord do that? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. I remember when Peter basically put his finger in the nose of Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, listen, I'm going to be delivered in the hands of sinful men. And you are all going to depart me. And Peter said, no, we're not. Peter knew what God's will was, or he thought he did. And he's telling Jesus what God's will was for him when he is the son of God right in front of him. Thirdly, I'll give you this. In attempting to turn Paul away from Jerusalem, his friends demonstrated that their spiritual focus was more horizontal than vertical. Because they were more interested in looking out for Paul's good rather than God's will. Uh. Uh. I'll read it again. They were attempting to turn Paul away from Jerusalem. His friends demonstrated that their spiritual focus was more horizontal than vertical. They were looking out for Paul's good. They were not seeking the will of God. We can do that. As a parent of four teenage boys who are discovering what God's will is for their life, it is very easy for me to want to look out for them rather than just let God lead them. In closing, let's go, let's go to some answers. 
In seeking God's will, there are a few practical reminders that are in order. And again, I give Kent Hughes credit for this. What do I need to do? What If I'm looking for God's will for my life, how do I find that? Well, number one is seek good advisors. All right? Every teenager in here, don't make a big decision by relying on the counsel of teenagers. Always happens. Because it's easier to talk to them. And it's, e- it's really easy to find somebody who will always tell you what you want to hear. You need to find somebody who you know loves you and will tell you what you need to know, not just what you want to hear. Find that individual. And I speak not just to teenagers, but I speak to adults. It is easy to get a group chat going. It is easy to talk to people. It is easy to start having a discussion. And you can ask people and ask people and ask people. And you'll finally find the one who tells you exactly what you want to hear. Oh, that must be God. I've had a lot of people come to me over time and say, well, I believe God's leading me to this. And I say, where is that in the Bible? That is contrary to anything God says in his word. Seek good advisors. Find somebody who loves you. And somebody who has been there. Somebody who has personal experience or knowledge of the subject. So be very discerning who you choose to ask advice and who you're seeking after. Secondly, spend time with God regularly. Regularly. Don't make a major decision in your life if you're not in the Word of God. If if your church attendance, if your Bible study attendance, if that is slacking and your prayer life is basically non-existent, don't go and try to make a very big decision that affects not only you, but affects your kids, it affects generations, it affects others who are around you. You need to spend a lot of time with God and in His Word. Regularly. That's why, and the thing is, is we don't always get to pick and choose when those big decisions need to be made. So you're preparing for them today. Thirdly, thirdly, realize that God's will may not be what you want it to be. Why is that? Because he's not a genie in a bottle. He doesn't grant you three wishes. God's will may not be what you want it to be. And you've got to be okay with that. Our The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, well, pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer life should be, it's about God's kingdom. What is that? It's about God's will for my life. It's about how it affects everybody else's eternity. I I tell you what, I I didn't know where to put this. My wife gave me this great illustration. I didn't know where to put it, but God just showed me. Can you hold your place here and go to Genesis chapter 1? Genesis chapter 1. 
Look at verse number one. That's the very first verse in the Bible, isn't it? What does it say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word... I'm sorry, that's John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? In the beginning. What's the very first letter of the Bible? It's an I. That I represents your life. And all of the letters that follow it throughout the entire Bible, that's your eternity. We spend so much time focusing on our comforts in the little bitty letter I that we forsake all of eternity. Jesus said, what shall a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That one little letter I, there's so much left of that. That's eternity. I just represents your short life. We'll go back to chapter Acts 21. What are we going to do with that? Well, we've got to recognize that sometimes God's will is not what we want. And lastly, we'll go to, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 11 in closing. Once we know what God wants us to do, we must do it even if it will cost us. Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 3. Will you turn there? When you're doing that, I'm going to read this last point. Once we know what God wants us to do, we must do it, even if it will cost us. Paul says, partial obedience robs me of my joy. I want to finish my course with joy, and therefore I want to go forward. Say, Paul, there's challenges ahead. Yes. Paul! Everything that we see, everything we hear, everything that you hear recognizes this. There are going to be very harsh circumstances to the point that he eventually loses his life. Paul said, that doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. What matters to me is that I finish what God sent me here to do. And if you can do that, then you can look at God with no regrets no sorries. You can finish and live your life in joy. Because that is something that is inside. It is a fruit of the Spirit, not a work of the flesh. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Here's a great example. Talking about Jesus Christ. It's actually Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. The thing that is dragging you back and holding you back, lay it aside. And yes, those things do happen in our life. There are things that are keeping us from going forward. There are things that are holding us back. He says, get rid of it. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the example. Was the cross wonderful? Was it bring happiness? No. It was very difficult. Blood was shed. Pain was felt. Suffering took place. But Jesus looked at the cross and he looked at the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? Every person who would go to heaven because they believed and received the atonement for our sin and the gift of God of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ only. Jesus Christ kept his eyes on that. It wasn't the suffering of the present time. It wasn't the thing that he had to endure, the endurance of the cross. It wasn't that. The joy was because he was fulfilling the will of the Father, and that was to save the world from their sin. Amen? Real joy that is strong enough to endure the cross. And real peace that the Bible describes as humanly impossible to understand. Comes from having the courage to abide in God's will. Rather than compromise for earthly comforts. Everything this world teaches us is to make the most of your life. To each his own, eat, drink, and be merry. Happiness is what you make it. God is offering a joy that any hardship we face, it cannot be taken away. It begins where? Where does it begin? It begins in a relationship with Jesus Christ. All... all all across the world, people are wanting to have joy. They're wanting to have peace. They're wanting to have something, a new change in their life, a new direction in their life. And they say, well, if I do this, if I do this, they list all of these things. They list works of the flesh, all of these things. If I do all of these things, then maybe I can finally have happiness. The Bible, uh, joy is not a work of the flesh. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit says you must be born again. You must have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. What must I do to be saved? The jailer asked. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Put your faith in him. And then for all of us who are, you're going to face trials. Listen, I'm going to close with this right here. I knew when I was asked to become the pastor of Somerville Baptist Church I was going to face incredible challenges. I knew that it was going to cost me in a lot of ways. But God gave me Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 9. And it was the comfort that he said, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Don't be afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is what? He is with thee whithersoever thou goest. There are times, Anna, there are times that I get afraid. 
You ever get afraid? There are times I get afraid. I get scared out of my bones. And I'll stay up at night because I'm thinking, what am I going to do? How are we going to get through this? And I'm reminded, God put me here. And he promised not to leave. And he's going to see us through. And therefore, I can put a smile on my face, not because I'm happy, because it's sometimes hard. <laughs> but I can put a smile on my face because there's joy. There's joy of having the courage to continue. There's not so much joy when you compromise. And you're left with, I could have, I should have, I wished things would have been different. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Endure whatever you're facing and let him put the joy there that helps you keep going. Our Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to preach your word today. Lord, this is a message today 